The following podcast contains explicit language. It's Wednesday, May 17th, 2017. From Slate Hits the Gist, I'm Mike Pesca, and the chief executive is stepping down. The chief executive of Ireland. He's going. Ender Kenny, he is the Taoiseach. Oh, I so love the Taoiseach. This is spelled T-A-O-I-S-E-A-C-H. Taoiseach? Nope. Taoiseach. Little Gaelic for you means chieftain. He is the man who wields the shillelagh until he doesn't. The details of the Taoiseach's ouster very much intertwined with Irish politics. He was a two-term Taoiseach. His party, not as strong now as it once was, might do better for a change. Kenny did not soar to great heights, but he didn't serve during a calamitous scandal. I was tickled. There was one point, one mark in the ledger against him that was mentioned. He tells these anecdotes on the floor of uh, their legislature, the Doyle, and uh, he was talking about a guy coming up to him about water bills, and he said, a man approached me holding two pints in one hand, and then everyone kind of went nuts, and uh, Sinn Féin leader Jerry Adams said, two pints in one hand. This was what they could not believe. The Irish would know if there were a way to carry two pints in one hand. They would be on that. But I bring up this whole uh, tea shuckery to make a pint. I mean, to make a point. A few months ago, Kenny was on the ropes also. He hasn't been doing well for quite a while. And his party, Fine Gael, was reeling. And there was a sense that he might be down. And then something happened. It was Donald Trump. He announced the initial travel ban. And this dominated Irish politics. There was no question what stance Ireland should take. Every Irish politician knew we have to oppose this. The question was how forcefully and in what way. So Kenny went to the floor of the Doyle, the Doyle, and he stood up and he said, I'd be standing up for immigrants and I'm going to meet with Donald Trump on St. Patrick's Day. And here's what he said. It's more important now than ever before that Ireland's voice be heard here and that we do stand up for the values and the integrity. We were those people, Deputy Adams. We were those people for two and a half centuries. I think it's more important than ever that Ireland's voice be heard here. Now, the effect of that speech, I will quote from the Irish Times. Finnegale's internal politics vanished into the shadows as opposition politicians and the media demanded to know if the Taoiseach intended to go to Washington as planned to present a bowl of shamrocks to the U.S. president on St. Patrick's Day. Actually, they said a bowl of shamrock. I think they don't pluralize shamrocks. But this is how unbelievably powerful the United States is. This is an entire nation shook by the notion of a state visit that you as an American probably did not even know existed. It just shows once again throughout the globe the power of the presidency and how this president is frittering away that power on pettiness and peak. On the show today, I spiel about impeachment. Should you want it? How badly? When? Paired with a red, a white, a blush? But first, Watergate does not bother them. Does your conscience bother you to Alabama, where they love the governor, or at least like her better than the guy who left office during an icky sex scandal? Also better than the guy who's now the senator who is supposed to investigate the love gov, but punted. Or the judge who keeps getting thrown off the bench. The state isn't quite a state.
Hey, all you true crime fans, this is Mike Ferguson. And this is Mike Morphin. And we'd like to invite you to listen to our podcast, Criminology. Launched in 2017, we've covered a variety of strange cases from murders to missing persons. Some of the cases are ones you may not have heard of. Other cases we cover are some of the most historic in true crime. There are 200 episodes of Criminology available to binge on right now. And new episodes come out every Saturday night. Subscribe to Criminology today, wherever you listen to your podcast. John Archibald is a columnist at the Alabama Media Group and uh, at Al.com, you know, the Birmingham News, Huntsville Times, Mobile Press Register, when we used to call newspapers by their names and not their .com. He covers all things politics in Alabama. Hello, John. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm well. How is Governor Kay Ivey settling in? You know, she didn't have to do a lot to, to look good because there's been a lot of looking bad lately. So she's... Uh, she hasn't been seen much, but what she's done, for the most part, has been pretty well received. She hasn't made waves, which I guess is uh, is what Alabama's looking for right now. Yes, and she is in office because her predecessor, Robert Bentley, is out after a scandal. Was it just your basic, powerful man, younger, attractive age, sex-lying, state funds scandal, or was there more to it? No, I think it was a lot more to it than that. I mean, you know, there's there's still actual debate whether there was actual sex involved, but there was definitely uh, money and state resources and abuses of power involved, and an accumulation of that's really what uh, what brought him down. Plus, it was just so wild you couldn't believe it because this was this was an old you know grandfatherly figure who had been married for fifty years and was all about the morality and family values, and all of a sudden he became somebody completely different. Yeah, a a spindly dermatologist who met his uh, alleged paramour in a Bible study group that he led. Right. And then and we got the the extra bounty of being able to hear his uh, romantic game on... uh, uh, When I say game, he doesn't really have a lot of game, as was evidenced by the voice recordings that were made by his wife of his romantic calls with his aide. It, it amused Alabama for a couple of years, but uh, I think most people in Alabama, Alabama are ready for some boredom. One thing that I noticed about it was that uh, the aide didn't work for the state. She worked for the campaign. And this seemed to me to be an end around that is worrisome for other states because uh, state officials or investigators couldn't actually subpoena her phone records because of this arrangement. Was that as I mean, I thought that was bad. And I worried that all governors would, you know, start to do this for their staff. Is that something to worry about on a national level, you think? That was one of the things I was most disturbed about. And we're talking about a situation that included him having a, his wallet flown to him at the beach after a fight with his wife. But but the fact that she was being paid through a uh, 501c4 dark money group, which essentially hid the donors to basically pay her salary as a top political aide in the governor's office. I mean, I find that to be... Uh, just an incredible uh, affront to the people because I mean you know you, who is who is buying and selling your you know your top, your governor's top political staffer I mean it's uh, it's insane and even the the impeachment committee the House Judiciary Committee was unable to find out who those donors were and really didn't do any better than than we did in the media to find those and the problem with this is that it is proliferating around the country and you will I mean unless there are laws to address it you'll be seeing this everywhere. 
So students of civics know that there are three branches of government, both federal and state. And on the state level, we've been talking about the executive of Alabama, but you've had scandals with the legislative and the courts as well. Two of them are really pretty closely related. The longtime House Speaker, who really engineered the Republican takeover of Alabama in 2010, and it helped develop the ethics reforms that we now have, um, was charged with uh, more than 20 ethics violations last year and was convicted on a dozen and is facing four years in prison for a series of ethics violations using his office for personal gain. You know, that kind of flowed into the whole governor scandal because the governor's aide and uh, confidant and whatever you want to call her was pretty frightened that she was going to be on the next list of investigations and began to work in order to keep uh, the House Speaker from being convicted, essentially. Also, of course, we have Supreme Court Chief Justice Roy Moore suspended from the bench for the second time, uh, and he has just resigned from that position to run for U.S. Senate. Is he popular, though? Um, is, he, is he some sort of um, roguish figure to Alabamans? He's popular to a lot of Alabamans, but don't forget that uh, he, the last time he ran for governor, he got 19% of the vote. So a lot of people in Alabama believe that he sort of got done wrong in this last uh, removal from the bench. So he, there is some sentiment for him right now. Uh, but my belief is that he is probably a shoe-in to get in the runoff in the Senate. Yeah. But getting a Getting a win is a different matter altogether. Now, this Senate seat, is that Jeff Sessions' old seat? It is Jeff Sessions' old so seat. So the man occupying it now is uh, Luther Strange, big Luther Strange, 6'9", from what I understand. And he he had a role to play in the Bentley saga, did he not? Right. And that, I do believe, is going to come back to bite him. He uh, was a state attorney general uh, at the time the investigation of the governor began. So at that point in last fall, Luther Strange goes to the impeachment committee and says, yo, stop. I got this. Don't worry about it. We're uh, looking at related matters. And everybody was pretty happy to say, "Okay, let the professional investigators investigate. Only when Jeff Sessions' Senate seat came open, Luther Strange went directly to the governor and said, hey, appoint me to the Senate, which is, you know, like a district attorney and going to a drug dealer and saying, uh, here, give me a job. Mm -hmm. And the governor did it. And that has really stuck to Luther Strange in terms of sentiment ever since, because he has seemed connected and tied and indebted to, to the governor. So you expect the runoff to be between Roy Moore and Luther Strange for that Senate seat? Well, it's a crowded field and there are still some mysteries out there because the state's, uh, Senate President Pro Tem is also pondering getting in the race, but there's a, a, a lot of effort to keep him from doing that. He can't. The, the big rumor, and it's not confirmed, but but from what we hear, uh, he can't seem to get a Washington consulting firm to help him um, because there's been uh, word has gone out that if you uh, don't support Luther, then you'll have a problem. So it gets stinkier and stinkier as we go. I want to talk about the legislature. What? business of state have they been occupying themselves with in the last few days? Well, of course, there's Civil War monuments took a lot of debate where they decided that in order to preserve all the historic monuments, the House needed to pass a bill which would demand that any monument dating from any period would have to get a court order 
to be removed. So my advice is to build a monument to uh, Montgomery ineptitude, but it's that kind of thing. I mean, we, we, we're debating uh, whether to put In God We Trust back on public buildings and invite lawsuits, and uh, it's a, a lot of pandering, but not a lot of the things, you know, nothing that would uh, really resolve any of those issues of health and safety. So just to probe on the monument front, if the city of Birmingham decides that a monument to Civil War leaders has got to go, the state says, no, Birmingham, you can't do that. And there is an analogy to states' rights. And Alabama uh, prominently has always said you should not allow the federal government to dictate what the states could do. The states are closer to citizens. But Alabama doesn't see it that the municipalities are closer still. Maybe they should have the say over the running of their towns. Right. One of the large, I mean, in my view, one of the biggest problems with Alabama is the state constitution, which essentially centralizes all authority in the it's, legislature. It's a very large constitution as well. Right. The way I figured in the past, if you sat down and started reading it out loud right now, you would be through with it in 32 days. It's quite the document. Now, but to be fair, that- John, you speak as a, as a Southerner, you speak slower than I do, so maybe I could get it in 29, but go ahead. <laughs> you, might, you might actually get it in like... 17. Okay. But uh, for me, it's 32. And uh, it denies home rule essentially to cities and counties. And while it would be logical to do as you did and make that and equate that to a state's rights issue, which cities and counties do, they don't seem to see it that way. So if Birmingham wants to move a monument, they no longer have that ability. Of course, the legislature also just passed a law restricting the city council of Birmingham's ability to raise its own pay. I mean, they spend a lot of time meddling in the affairs of cities and not solving those problems as well. Yeah. I'm glancing at the Alabama Constitution. Jumping out at me is Section 259, use of poll taxes for support of public schools. I did not think poll taxes were constitutional by some other constitution. And you have, uh, let me see here. Oh, I'm scrolling down. Amendment 500. All the amendments. Amendment 920. You're up to 926. Amendment 926 is an amendment of Amendment 448. What a constitution. Right. And so uh, any person in my position should be able to tell you immediately that that poll tax citation is probably no longer valid. But it's impossible to tell because after an hour and a half, you figure out that you'll never be able to figure this thing out. Yeah. Who has that kind of time? So, okay, I know that Alabama is as Republican as they get. Every political figure we've been talking about is a Republican. It's also 70% white and conservative Christian. So I don't expect Democrats to make inroads. But you know, in some states like Kansas, it's more moderate Republicans who have uh, been a bulwark against very fiscal conservatives. But since that's not exactly the dynamic, it's not really uh, fiscal conservatives who are causing Alabama headaches. It's just corruption. What remedies, what electoral remedies do the people of Alabama actually have? As far as the one-party state, I mean, people don't remember that up until 2010, Alabama was a Democratic-controlled legislature. The problem was that the Democrats up until 2010, had proven themselves to be as corrupt as the day is long, so that the Republicans were able to sweep into power in 2010 on the promise of doing better uh, in terms of ethics. And they passed this ethics reform, which many have now tried to uh, weaken because they've found out that they're getting in trouble with it as well. So now the Republicans are turning out to be just as 
corrupt as the Democrats. And so we find out that we don't have as many differences as we thought we did, I guess. Yeah. And listen, I'm from New York and it is no model of governance on the state level. And we don't have full democratic control, but it's de facto democratic control. And the legislature and the governor, both houses are always at each other's throats. My sister lives in Illinois. Again, this is not northerners or sophisticates mocking Alabamans. But I do wonder... I know the answer in New York, but what story do Alabamans tell themselves about why this situation has gotten to the place it has? Well, um, don't for a minute think that this started just with the last three, you know, notable cases of corruption. I mean, we have a long and illustrious history of corruption. And usually what happens is it goes in cycles and people are, you know, throw the bums out, throw the bums out, throw the bums out. It seems like politicians remain just a little bit scared straight, perhaps, then people sort of forget and and the new wave of corruption begins. But it has been cyclical. I don't I don't really know what we tell ourselves other than all of our you know, that we are constantly disappointed by by leadership. And people are far less tolerant of corruption than they are of uh ineptitude. And uh, I think they are equickly to blame. John Archibald is, well, I could list all his credits, but, you know, let's just call him shorthand Dean of Alabama Political Reporters. Thank you, John. (laughs) Thank you. And now the spiel. There are calls, loud calls, for impeachment proceedings to begin against President Trump. Vlad Putin has weighed in and offered his help. He offered to release the Russian version of transcripts of the Oval Office chat that apparently blew an Israeli undercover operation. That would certainly be quite a favor, especially considering that the Uber scandal threatening the administration centers around White House officials being in the pay and possibly the thrall of one Vlad Putin. Putin's proposal is so ridiculous, so laughable, I would say there is only about a 14% chance that Trump takes him up on it. And why not? Here's House Intel Committee Chairman Adam Schiff on CNN. I think the last thing the president probably needs right now is for Vladimir Putin to be vouching for him. Sage advice. And now that Schiff said it, I'd put Trump's chances at 16% up from 14 one sentence ago. Elsewhere, Senator John McCain who says of calling Trump to account, quote, I can't be the car alarm that always goes off, went off. I think it's reaching the point where it's of Watergate size and scale and a couple of other scandals that you and I have seen. It's a centipede that the shoe continues to drop. It's beginning to look a lot like Nixon, and it doesn't make McCain Diogenes to say so. Look around. Congressman Al Green I'm speaking to the American people. It is time for you to act. It is time for you to let us know where you stand. I've seen a poll that indicates that a majority now of those who are being polled are for impeachment. This is not something to be taken lightly. And I do not. Al Green not staying together with the president, whether times are good or bad or happy or sad. I'll stop. I won't. I won't do my Al Green. But what about you? What about you? What tax should you take 
Your heart says impeach, but your head says impeach, impeach, impeach. Maybe your head's also saying, how did anybody even vote for the guy in the first place? But I say no. I say hold your impeachment horses. First of all, it's fine. In fact, it's useful that a wing of the Democratic Party is actively pursuing impeachment. That will keep the pressure on. And it is also true that the media is hyperventilating about this. But let me say something about hyperventilating. When we say someone's hyperventilating, we're usually implying they're unnecessarily hyperventilating. But that's not true. Let me give you some situations where people hyperventilate. And it's not just during what Nene said on the reunion show or avocado toast references. People hyperventilate during hurricanes and avalanches and horrific cataclysmic events that can kill you. We tend to note when hyperventilating is unwarranted because those people look up from the paper bag they're breathing into and they feel a little sheepish. We don't make eye contact with the people who are hyperventilating, but they're now currently trapped under 14 feet of snow. So sometimes hyperventilating, totally warranted. So I wouldn't take the media going into overdrive as an indicator either way. But it does bring about the question, should you want impeachment now? Luckily, you're not going to get it now, but what should you want? For one thing, let's talk about the actual crime. Now, you don't need a literal crime to uh, impeach a president. High crimes and misdemeanors just mean that the president does it. So there doesn't have to be breaking of an existing law. But what the experts say, even the most aggressive anti-Trump experts say, is that you could bring an actual obstruction case, but it's dicey if you could prove it. All right, that is something to consider. And of course, ousting Trump will seem like justice. It will seem like the reversal of the injustice that he got into office in the first place. But remember, you are essentially disenfranchising a large percentage of American voters. Benighted, possibly ill-intentioned voters, but voters nonetheless. And my point in saying that isn't feel sorry for these voters. It's think about where they go from here and where we all go from here. The era post-Watergate was a golden age for government reform and sunshine laws and journalism and openness because everyone, even if you look at Nixon's last approval ratings, they were in the 20s, but everyone or almost everyone basically agreed we need to clean the Aegean stables. If Trump is out now or next week or the week after that, will we really have this feeling? If Trump is hoisted on his own petard, does Trumpism get swept away or just Trump? And look, I will be honest with you if the choice is Mike, Trump or no Trump, I say no Trump. However, if this thing plays out, if impeachment or the talk of impeachment or the embattled presidency plays out and cripples the presidency, it could absolutely doom the health care bill. It could strangle tax reform in its crib, never letting it grow past the thin slats of 16 bullet points and Steve Mnuchin appearances. The entire Trump agenda, if you want to call it that, could flail about embarrassingly or dangerously, and its whip-like tail can punish Trump adherents in midterm elections. All I'm saying is that a weakened presidency, a president who's embarrassing himself and his party and his acolytes, might be preferable to Mike Pence stepping in and trying to demonstrate competence or at least knowledge of the system. It seems like Pence has almost all of Trump's horrible policies with less of the bumbling incompetence that gets in the way of said policies. Now, I will acknowledge that during the elections, I said a version of this. Oh, yes, let, let Trump be Trump. It will eventually doom his party. Maybe the doom will actually come after he's elected. The good thing is we don't have really much of a say in it. I'm just trying to tell you where your rooting interest should be. So if you are despairing over the sad state of affairs, I just want you to acknowledge the upside. And the upside might not come best in the form of 
an ouster, and the instant catharsis that represents. It might be the slow festering of a wound, which might be the best of all these bad outcomes. And that's it for today's show. Just producer Mary Wilson keeps on turning. Carry her home to see her kin. Chris Brube, just producer, totally takes Neil Young's side in that song for obvious reasons. Steve Lichtai is executive producer of Slate Podcasts. When the midnight choo-choo leaves for Alabama, he'll be right there. He's got his fare. When he sees that rusty-haired conductor man, he'll grab him by the collar and holler, Alabama, Alabama. Andy Bowers, chief content officer of the Panoply Network, is seriously considering bringing disciplinary action against Steve Lichtai for his constant assault of ginger-haired train conductors. It is a pattern. The gist. Call me Deacon Blue. Umperu deperu duperu. And thanks for listening. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com.